Oh, hello everyone and welcome back to the North Broad Church of Christ YouTube channel. Uh, we want to thank everyone who has subscribed to the channel and for all of those uh, views that we've been getting. Hopefully you've been encouraged by the gospel and the different lessons that we've had on our channel. Uh, June 6th, we will be resuming our normal service times and that will start at 9.30 with the adult classes. And I believe we'll also have children's classes again as well. And then at 10.30 is our service, our um, general service time. We won't be pre-recording sermons like this, as you see me on my front porch uh, from that point forward, unless, um, unless there's a special circumstance. We will be pre-recording the sermons on a certain platform, media platform, and then uploading them to YouTube afterwards, after the live feed. So no more of the pre-recorded sermons, if you will. We will be having the live sermons at the church building uploaded to the YouTube channel so that you can view them that way. But we do appreciate everyone who's logged on and um, have been encouraged by these classes and sermons, as well as listening to the podcast. We're in Exodus 20 in our journey through Exodus, and what a journey it's been. If you've if you followed along with the different messages and the different ones who spoke, they tried to pull out different things out of each uh, chapter that we've gone through so far. And up to this point, Israel, they've, they've kind of been wandering around in the wilderness. They've, um, they're nomads, if you will. They, they camp here and then they camp there. They they find a, a safe haven in Elam where there's 12 wells and there's water and they can feed their flocks and their children and everyone there. And then they find themselves in a different part of their wanderings and they find bitter water. And then another part, they find no water and they begin to grumble. Now we find them at Sinai. And God has commanded Moses to come up and meet him in the mountain. But he's also told uh, Moses to command the people to make sure that they're acting and behaving properly, they're behaving righteously, and they have to even wash their clothes, and they can't even have intimacy with their um, husbands or wives for three days. As God descends down on, on the mountain, uh, it's a pretty serious happening. And if you read some of the descriptions of what God commanded them to do, you can see that what is happening here is not normal. And as we get back to normal in our individual personal lives and in our church family, and as things start to open back up, we see and we are thankful some normalcy setting back in. But as we see Mount Sinai and God descending on it, it's anything but normal. And God is about to deliver a law that's anything but man-made. It's divine. And when you think about the Ten Commandments, what do you think about? Honor thy father and mother, right? Do not murder, do not steal, uh, do not bear false witness. We, we know them, right? Uh, you should have no other gods before me. But how relevant are the Ten Commandments in the Christian life today? Just go ahead and think about or try to name uh, some of them, or as many of them as you can out loud right now. I'll give you a few seconds to do that. Just go ahead and name as many as you can. How many did you get? Did you get them all? Some of them, maybe? Um, 
there's been lawsuits. There's been Supreme Court hearings debating and disputing whether or not to publicly display the Ten Commandments. My question is, though, are they relevant today? I think if you looked at any civilized society, they would agree that they are useful as a good moral code, as a good reference point, you might say. You think about our own Declaration of Independence, even in America, the United States. There's mentions of God and our creator. But is there any law in our Constitution, or any statement in the uh, Declaration of Independence that commands obedience to the Ten Commandments? Now, we have laws, right? We have laws that are based, I would say, off of the Ten Commandments and some other uh, legal moral codes that have evolved since the beginning of civilized society. But there's no command. There's no law in our country saying that we have to obey God. And when we see the Ten Commandments, the very first command is what? You shall have no other gods but me. And I think as a whole, as a people, all of us have violated that command. You come across some folks and they say, well, I've kept all the commandments. It reminds me of the rich young ruler. Uh, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Great question. And Jesus gives him certain commandments. Honor your father and mother, right? Now, do not commit adultery and things like that. But he doesn't mention this one. And he doesn't mention coveting. And the rich young ruler says, I've done all these things from my youth. And Jesus says, one thing you still lack, sell all your possessions and go and give it to the poor. And it says that the rich young ruler left sad because he had much wealth. He put money as his God. When you think about the Ten Commandments... And you think about this momentous occasion that's occurring on Sinai with lightning and thunder and smoke and trumpet blasts and people needing to wash their clothes after we, as we've said before. And then thinking about a single touch of the mountain meant your death. We see that this law didn't originate in the mind of man, but in the mind of God. And we can see that when Moses gave the Ten Commandments to Israel, that he was giving them to a group of nomads who were unorganized, disorganized, and somewhat dysfunctional as a people. They needed direction if they were going to be the people of God. And they needed more than just the man-made laws. They needed divine law. And we can see the divinity of the Ten Commandments in that it is both horizontally focused as well as vertically focused and Horizontally, meaning man to man, as we see in the last six commands, and vertically focused in regard to man's relationship to God. And we see two groupings in the Ten Commandments. The first four relate to God and man, and the last six relate man to man. But they all really relate to God. Because if we're focused and we're putting him first, then all the other commands kind of fall in place, don't they? And for Israel, this is a wonderful, wonderful time in their history, in their sojournings in the wilderness. And the question we want to answer with these next couple of sermons 
is what role should the Ten Commandments play in the Christian's life today? What role should the Ten Commandments play in our lives today? And there's two things that I would like to focus on. There's other things that we could think about, but two things that I want to focus on with regard to that question. Number one is this. The Ten Commandments gives us knowledge of sin. Or you could say the old law gives us the knowledge of sin. And number two, the law should lead us to Christ. So what role should the Ten Commandments play? Number one, the Ten Commandments or the law of Moses gives us the knowledge of sin. And number two, the Ten Commandments or the law of Moses should lead us to Christ. And we'll see as we get along a little bit further how relevant these are in the Christian life. So number one, the law gives us the knowledge of sin. And Romans um, chapter three, Romans chapter three, I can find it here. And we'll start in verse 20 or 19, Romans three nineteen. Now, we know that whatever the law says, talking about the law of Moses, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And Paul is trying to get the Romans to see that all have fallen short. And that's what he says in Romans 3.23. For all have fallen, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's what he's getting to. And he's saying the law gives us the knowledge of sin. And how does it do that? <clears throat> well, it reveals to us what God expects of us. And God has a right to give us a standard to live by because he is the creator of us. And so if he gives us a standard, the law, the Ten Commandments, it's our opportunity and obligation to live by those commands because he is our creator. Now, having the knowledge of sin is one thing. Understanding what sin is is another thing. Now, I'm not talking about necessarily knowing or naming a particular sin. You say all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yes, all of us have, each one of us. Some of us in the same way and some of us in other ways. And we can name those particularly, right? I've never murdered anyone, but this person has. Or I've never stolen anything from anybody, but they've been a thief before. But I have uh, committed other things like dishonoring my mother and my father, right? I've done things like I've sinned against God. And what I'm talking about is what does the word sin mean? If you know what a dartboard looks like, we call or the bullseye in the dartboard. Let's say the bullseye is the mark that we have to hit. That's the law. And fulfilling the law completely is the bullseye. And if I throw a dart, I may hit it sometimes. But there are chance there is a chance where I will miss it. And when I miss the mark, I've sinned against God. Now, I'm not talking about playing darts or shooting an arrow at a, uh, at a, uh, an, uh, uh, target. I'm talking about living a life pleasing to God. And when I miss the mark, God calls that sin. All of us have fallen short 
of the glory of God because we've sinned. And the law gives us the knowledge of sin. It does that by pointing out what sin is. And so God says, do not steal. Okay, what if I've stolen and I didn't recognize it as being sinful? Well, now God has shown me that is sinful. And that's what the law is. And that's what the law does. It gives us the knowledge of sin. Of sin. And lets us know that God has established the standard. Now, Jesus really elevates that standard because some people would look at it and say, well, I've never committed these things outwardly, right? I've never committed adultery outwardly. I've never stolen anything outwardly, right? I've never murdered anybody outwardly. I've never done the act. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, that if you even think of it in your heart, if you even look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've committed adultery. So Jesus elevates it and said, it's not about just doing the act. It's about our hearts. So Jesus uses the old law to demonstrate what it's pointing to. It's pointing to our hearts and the sinful nature that we have as humans. And the law gives us a picture of ourselves. Do not steal. Do not murder. Do not lie. Do not uh, honor your father and mother. This is what sin looks like. God used the law to expose our sin. So not only did he reveal what sin was in the old law, as Paul points out in Romans 3, but God used the law to expose our sin and over in Romans 7. Romans 7, we'll start in verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Let me back up and just read in verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. He's talking about how we, in the previous chapter in Romans 6, how we've died to sin. We've died to the old law because we've been baptized into Christ and we've placed our faith in Christ. And he says in verse 4, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law, through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that to which by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit, not in oldness of the letter. And notice how he describes the old law oldness of the letter compared to the newness of the spirit. And then he says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Talking about the old law. Is the law sin? May it never be. No. Well, how can it not be sin if it's, as he says in verse 5, aroused sin in me by the law? The law aroused sin in me. How can the law not be sinful? And he says, no, it's not sinful. On the contrary, I would not have come to no sin except through the law. 
for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. It's not the law that's arousing sin in me. He says, it's sin taking the opportunity in me and you. And so when we look at the old law and we look at the Ten Commandments, we see that God has established the standard and he lets us know what sin is. This is what sin is. And now that we know what sin is, guess what sin does in us? He says it's aroused. It's aroused. But he says the hope that we have is that we serve in newness of the spirit having been released from the law. We've been released from the law because we placed our faith in Christ who's fulfilled the law. None of us can fulfill the old law, but Jesus has. And he says at the end of verse 7, For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. What's he saying? There's no, no such thing as sin apart from the law? No. He's saying that in his mind, he didn't recognize coveting as being sinful. Coveting is just coveting. That's kind of like how we were before Christ, wasn't it? We would do things and maybe we knew it was wrong or maybe we had an inkling that it could be wrong if we did. But sin? Well, it's wrong. It's not sinful. And then once the gospel was exposed to us, we recognized that not only was it wrong, but it was sinful in the sight of Almighty God. And so he says, but sin taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. That means not, it means that I just don't know it to be sin. It's dead. He says, I was once alive apart from the law. What's he mean by that? He was once alive in a sense that he didn't realize he was a sinner in violation of God's law. I was once alive apart from the law in verse 9. But when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So then, the law is holy and the command, commandment is holy and righteous and good. The old law is good because it reveals sin and reveals our sinful nature. It's kind of like this. Say you're wearing a bright white shirt and summertime's coming and, you know, white is surely a summertime color. And so you say, say you're wearing this nice bright white shirt and you've got this stain on it, but you don't realize it. So you're walking around with this nice bright white shirt on that's got this horrendous stain on it. But you don't know it's there because you haven't seen it yet. No one has told you about the stain that's there. And so you don't even realize there's one there. But then someone brings it to your attention. How are you feeling? Now, you may still wear the shirt proudly. You may still consider it clean. But you're 
more aware of it now that someone's exposed the stain on your shirt, aren't you? And that's the similar idea that we get from the law. We see sin for what it is, and we also see our own sin for what it is. We may think we have a nice bright white shirt on, and it's full of stains, but until someone comes and makes us aware of the stains, we're dead to the stain, or the stain is dead to us, right, we might say. So the law gives us the knowledge of sin. Well, we can use this in an evangelistic way if you think about it. If you want to bring somebody to Jesus, maybe sometimes start with the Ten Commandments. Now, we understand as Christians that we're not under the law. We're not held captive by the law. We've been set free, just as Paul has said here in his previous verses in Romans 7. We've died to the law because we are in Christ. But maybe someone just needs to see the stain on their white shirt. They need to understand what sin is and that they have sinned in order to get them to a point where they can accept Christ. Now, we can also bring them to the New Testament as well and show them that it's not only about the act, but it's about the heart. And that can be really convicting, can it? It can be a real convincing tool to use. So the law gives us the knowledge of sin, but more than that, the law should lead us to Christ. And this is very relevant for us today as Christians. The law should lead us to Christ in Galatians chapter 3. And the Galatian church is struggling with some people who are coming in and saying that they needed to be circumcised and to abide by certain laws of the old covenant. And Paul is trying to refute those in so let's just, let's go to Galatians 3, and we'll start in verse 24. Verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed, yourself, clothed yourselves with Christ. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise." The law was a tutor that led us to the teacher, led us to Christ. Now, some of us may say, well, I wasn't really taught the Ten Commandments. I mean, I knew about them. I've heard about them. Just growing up, you hear about the Ten Commandments, right? And maybe some of us have even, even seen the old movie, the Ten Commandments with Charleston Heston in it. But other than that, we, we try to live a good moral life. We try to do things that we may see. Uh, we've kind of created our own law in our minds at times. But even the best of us have violated our own law, haven't we? 
I'm not talking about as Christians. I'm talking about even before we became Christians, we have a certain level or standard of morality that even we have failed in that. But as we recognize our need for Christ and we recognize our sinfulness, we know that he's the answer to it. We know that he is the one and only Savior that can reconcile us back to God because he has become a curse for us. He says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And Jesus took the curse of the law and became a curse for us. Galatians 3.13. Let's start in verse 10, Galatians 3.10. Excuse me. For as many as are the of... For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the spirit through faith. Jesus has become that curse for us. The curse that we had under the law was that we couldn't fulfill the law. And so we were cursed. The law was never meant to redeem us. It was meant to expose our need of a redeemer. And brothers and sisters, I pray that the law, you don't find yourself still under the law, trying to fulfill all all of the commands of the law. You never can do it. You can't do it. You are cursed if that is the way you are trying to live your Christian life. And Jesus says, no. Paul tells the Galatians, no, Jesus became the curse for us. How? By being nailed to a tree. In Colossians 2.14, what does Colossians 2.14 say? Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Jesus has taken the law and nailed it to the cross because he's fulfilled the law. He is the end of the law, the fulfillment of the law. And those of us who are in Christ are free. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus even says it with his own words, starting in verse 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did, not, I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. And whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And he's already given us commands in um, Matthew chapter 5 and the uh, Sermon on the Mountain, he's about to deliver more. And he's about to compare 
the commands of the Ten Commandments with what he says as far as committing adultery and being angry and committing um, murder and making false vows and an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He goes through all of that and he compares, look, you, you think it means just the act. And I'm telling you, it's about your heart. And Jesus has come to fulfill the law. And it was fulfilled when he died and rose again. Having nailed it to the cross. Praise the Lord. Christ fulfilled the law. He became a curse for us. And just think about it. How, how glorious does the law make the gospel? How glorious does the law make the gospel? And Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 3. And he says this. He asks a question. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how would the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? Even more with glory. Think about Moses having to veil his face because of the glory of it when he came down with those two tablets of stone. How much more the glory of the gospel. The law revealed sin for what it was. It revealed our sin and it revealed that we needed a redeemer. It pointed to Jesus. So as as much glory as there was on that mountain and glory that came with the old law and the covenant that God made with Israel, how much more glory than the new covenant? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. The old laws faded away. And now the new law, the new covenant has come in. And there's no covenant to come that's going to replace that one. Jesus says, this is a new covenant of my blood, which is given for many for the forgiveness of sins. There's no other covenant coming to replace the covenant that Christians find themselves in that's filled with glory. Therefore, having such a hope in verse 12, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. 
but their minds were hardened. For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Praise the Lord, brothers and sisters. We are being transformed because of the Spirit's work in our lives, because of the glory of the gospel of Christ. Have you taken your response to the gospel for granted? Have you taken the glory that is to be found in the gospel for granted? Much more glory, abounding glory, as compared to the Old Testament law. Brothers and sisters, I would encourage you to remember the relevance of the Ten Commandments in our lives today. Can, it can be a good reference point for us. And I'm not saying we completely abandon the, the precepts that are given to us in the old law. There is value there. But if you find yourself trying to fulfill the old law, Paul tells the Galatian church that if you're trying to, to live under the Old Testament law and trying to fulfill the law that has been given to Moses, that you've been severed from Christ. You don't want to be severed from Christ. We're severed from Christ because we think we can do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. That's the whole, one of the main points of the old law, that we need a redeemer. So how relevant the Ten Commandments in the Christian life? They give us knowledge of sin. God has established a standard for all of mankind, and all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus Christ came to pay the sin debt that we owe God because we have broken his law, each one of us. Those who have knowledge of the law and those who have made a law of our own. We've broken our own law, which in some way is connected to the law of God. Jesus got to the heart of the commands, didn't he, in the New Testament as he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount and other scriptures in the new testament it's not just about the act it's about our heart leading up to the act and jesus the old law leads us to christ the law was our tutor to bring us to the teacher to bring us to our redeemer i pray that you're encouraged to remember that christ fulfilled the law for you and me because we weren't able to, because the sin that was aroused in us when we figured out and we saw and it was exposed to us what sin was, it didn't necessarily cause us to try and not sin as much as it wakened our eyes to what our sin was. Just like our stain on our shirt that we didn't know what was there. It was there at first. But once we were availed to our sin, we turned to Christ, didn't we? And from that day forward, we are promised that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all 
unrighteousness. What a blessing it is to have a Savior that's fulfilled the law. God bless you. We pray that you we see you in person. And June sixth, sixth, twenty twenty one, we are we will be opening regular services again, starting at nine thirty. We'll have our class, and then we will have our morning service as usual, as we have before the pandemic, starting at ten thirty. And we hope to see all of you there. Until then, may you live a godly life. And God bless.